of our of the way that we understand the scriptures to teach is that we are we are saved and we are kept by God's amazing grace. Grace is what um, God bestows upon us when we're unworthy, when we're undeserving, when we're unable to help ourselves. Since having been exposed at age 15 to the doctrines of grace, it's been a real special, special uh, blessing in my life. And it's been a blessing to be able to encourage and share this same story with other folks. In Ephesians chapter 2, it just simply says, it sums it up, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And he tells us, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I want to look at an example in the Old Testament about God's grace. God's grace. In 2 Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5, it talks about a gentleman that was stricken with a terrible uh, disease of leprosy. Naaman is the uh, gentleman's name. Now it says that Naaman was of a high position. He had uh, a good position of authority. He uh, was over a lot of individuals. A lot of folks looked up to him. He was well respected, even with the king. It says Naaman was a captain of the host of the king of Syria. And it says he was a great man. Uh, We'll see that Naaman, uh, like a lot of folks, was well-meaning. He meant well. Uh, But oftentimes, God's ways are different from our ways. And his ways are higher than our ways. And just because we mean well doesn't really mean that it's the right thing. So let's look at what happens here. It says he was a great man with his master. He was honorable because by him the Lord had had given deliverance unto Syria. He was a mighty man. He was a man of valor. But it says, but he was a leper. He had something that he couldn't cure himself of. And up to this point, nobody else could could help him or cure him. He had an illness that uh, couldn't be treated. Now, when you are in that situation, if you've heard of a cure or if you've heard of a treatment, generally you're pretty willing to try about anything. You're pretty desperate if you're in a situation like that. When we compare ourselves in this situation with Naaman, even our sinful condition, Our sinful condition is a terminal condition. It is. It's also a condition that we can't 
pay a price for it. We can't redeem ourselves for it. We can't improve it in and of ourselves. It takes something outside of ourselves to be able to do that. In fact, it takes everything outside of ourselves to make the difference and improve it. That difference, we'll see, is Christ. So let's look at what he says right here. It says, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, This little maid has some information right here that she is going to share that might be helpful to Naaman, might be helpful to his condition. If, if, uh, if somebody has something, that, uh, some information that will help you with your condition, uh, you're eager to hear it. And if you've got some information that you can help others, that you're eager to share it. And so this little maid, this little girl that was waiting on Naaman's wife, she said unto her mistress, she said, I would to God that my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria. Now, we'll see who that is. It's uh, Elisha here in just a minute. But she said, I wish that uh, it was possible that he could be with the prophet that's in Samaria. Because I've heard the report and he has the, uh, he has the ability to help folks that have this uh, terrible, terrible illness. Now, if you've got a bad illness and you've heard that there's somebody that can help you, you want to do whatever it takes to be able to obtain that help. And it says that, and one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus, the maid that is of the land of Israel says, And the king of Syria said, the, the word got out, she told this story, the story got out that there's somebody that can help uh, Naaman that is stricken with leprosy. And it says, and the king of Syria said unto, uh, said, go to, go and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 10,000, I'm sorry, 10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. Now, first of all, he was, uh, you can, it's, it's, it's great to see in situations in our life when we can see the hand of God. I like the song that says the unseen hand, God's unseen hand. It's really a blessing when we oftentimes can look back on our life and we can see how that God's hand was in the matter in our life. And we didn't even know it. We didn't even realize it. I was talking to Brother David McLeod the other day, and I'm, I'm so thankful that God sent him here to Maryland. We grew up in the same part of the country, and we didn't even know each other. We knew of his family. His grandfather was a well-known minister in the country and knew of his family. But just looking at the details, you can see how that God was working in that. I can look at several of you here and see how that God was working his hand, whether we realized it or not at the time. I think about um, uh, the, the, the experience of Brother Justice and Sister Tracy and how that God brought them in the middle of a blizzard. Amen. I mean, it was normally a Sunday we wouldn't probably meet under normal circumstances. And a few gathered here. And yet God sent them and he used that experience in that blizzard to send them here. It's interesting how we can look and see God's hand in the matter. Well, right here, God is working in the lives of several people at the same time. And he's doing it and it's going to benefit Naaman a whole lot. And it's going to give God all the glory. 
And so God does things the way he does them oftentimes. Doesn't always do them the way we think that he should or would or will. But he does it in such a way that he's going to get the glory. That he'll be glorified in it. So when we can look back, we can say, well... I didn't do anything but mess it up, but God came along and he worked it out and then he gets all the glory for it. And that's how God designs it. He gets all the glory. So here's what he says. The king said, that's a wonderful idea. In fact, I'm going to give you a letter with my authority on it to present to the king of Israel. And and I'm also going to send you with uh, some things that you're going to be able to offer to um, this prophet for treating you, for helping you. That was a nice gesture. I mean, it's certainly a, a, a welcome gesture, a nice gesture. But the way that God worked this situation out, he wanted it to be very clear that it wasn't because that he was being paid to do it. So I want you to see what what happens right here. And so he brought the letter to the king of Israel. This is Naaman. He brought the letter that the king of Syria had sent with him to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent uh, Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. So the little girl had told about the prophet that was in Israel, but apparently uh, the king of Israel was not fully aware of this and didn't know the entire story or what would be the rest of the story. And so it says that when Naaman took the letter with him to uh, the king of Israel, it says the king of Israel read the letter and he rent his clothes. So here's his response. Here comes an individual that's got leprosy and here he has a letter that is from the king of Syria and giving him uh, an entrance into the king of Israel. And it all of a sudden it it puts a lot of pressure on the king of Israel and the king of Israel. He thinks it's a trick. He thinks that the king of Syria is trying to get something stirred up right there. And so the king of uh, Israel doesn't really see the entire picture and he comes to the wrong conclusion. You ever do that? You ever kind of get the wheels turning and think about it and you you think, well, I think they must have an ulterior motive. They must. And that's exactly what. The king of Israel determined right here. He said, am I a God? He says, I don't have the power to heal a leper. He says, am I a God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of leprosy? Wherefore, wherefore, consider, I pray you and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. The king of Israel He, you know what? He probably didn't even talk to the Lord about it. He probably just responded real quick. And oftentimes when we respond real quick or we say something real soon, we oftentimes think, well, I wish I'd have thought about that. Or I wish I'd have talked to the Lord about it. Or I wish I had waited just a little bit. And meditated upon it before I said this or that. The king of Israel, we're seeing what he's thinking here. And when it was so, 
When Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that means that he is completely discouraged. He's completely overwhelmed. He's mourning. He's in a state of mourning. He thinks to himself that the king of Syria is trying to start a quarrel against him by sending this letter. That's how I interpret this. And it says, and when and it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, saying, then he sent to the king, saying, wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Elisha hears the story about the king of Israel's response. He hears that he's rent his clothes. He perceives and hears that the king of Israel thinks that the king of Syria is trying to get a quarrel since he knows that he doesn't have the power to heal a man of leprosy. Elisha hears this and it says that Elijah then uh, Elisha sends a message to uh, the king of Israel. And he says, he says, send him unto me. He said, so that it will be known that there is a prophet in Israel. There's a prophet that God has favored. There's a prophet that God has blessed. There's a prophet that even is blessed with the power through God in, in, a, in some fashion of healing. And he says, you send him to me. So you can read all of this chapter. It's really good. Not going to get through all 27 verses, but it's really, really good. So Naaman has a, a real train with him, not like a choo-choo train, but he has a following. He has a lot of folks that are going along with him. And I imagine it was probably something to see. It says Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha. So Naaman, Naaman was well respected. Naaman had a strong position. Naaman was well known with those people that were with him. I imagine the people that were with him on their horses uh, as they pull up to uh, Elisha's door. I'm sure that that Naaman thought this is going to be a pretty splendid event that's about to take place. If, if indeed this prophet has the power to deliver me and to heal me, I, I've got some folks that have gone along with me and they're going to witness it as well. And this is going to be a pretty spectacular event that's going to happen. No, I just wonder what all was going through his mind. But what happened actually offended Naaman. Naaman didn't get, Elisha wasn't rude to him. He wasn't trying to be mean. Elisha was just working it out in such a fashion as God had designed that God would get the glory. But it wasn't what Naaman had expected. And you know, this addresses right here clearly a pride issue that probably every single one of us have in our life. It addresses a pride issue. I wonder how many blessings and deliverances we miss and get in the way from when our pride kicks in. Your mom had a 
an old saying that she would say. She, she told Brother Mark and I this many times. She'd say, self-praise stinks. Did she ever tell you that? You probably didn't need it, but uh, I guess Brother Mark and I did. Hope he's not listening, but uh, maybe so. But you know what? You know what? Naaman had a pride issue and he didn't even know it. Now, I kind of feel a little bit sorry for Naaman because he gets a bad rap right here. He, he, he didn't even see the pride issue at the time, and yet all of us see it. That's an amazing thing about pride. It is. But you know that everybody else tends to see it oftentimes before we do? We see Naaman's pride. We see his experience here. But generally, everybody else sees it before we do. I've given this example, and it's even more prevalent now, but I'll give it again. Several years ago, uh, I was um, at, um, I think it was Men's Warehouse or, or one of the men's stores, and I was getting suited for a new suit, and it was a three-way mirror right there. And on a three-way mirror, you see the back. And so... I'm looking in this three-way mirror, and all of a sudden, I saw something I hadn't seen before. I saw this bald spot on the top of my head, and I thought, I wonder how long I've had that. Then I thought, you know what? Everybody else sees that, but I don't see it. And I thought, I'm kind of glad, but nevertheless, I was disappointed to find out that I had it. That's the same way pride is. Everybody else can see it, but I didn't see it. Well, Naaman had a pride issue. He pulled his host and his chariot right up to the front door of Elijah's house. And he thought, now, either Elijah's going to welcome me in or he's going to come outside and this is going to be some miraculous event. And so it says that he, he pulled up in front of Elijah's house and it says... Elisha knew that Elisha knew that he was there. And rather than Elisha come to the door, he sent somebody else. Well, that offended Naaman. He says that Elisha sent a messenger to him. And the messenger had the solution. But it didn't come in the package that Naaman thought it should come in or would come in. And so the, the message worked, but he didn't receive it well. Mm-hmm. Heard this story uh, on one of the Christian radio programs. I don't, it's been a long time since I heard this, but the young man, the young man that, uh, uh, had always wanted a, a, a new car when he graduated. He wanted a, a new car from his parents. And that he had his heart set on this new car. And so when he graduated, uh, there was a package there that his parents had given him. And he opened it. And he was so disappointed and so upset because it was a Bible. He got upset and he vented his frustration to his parents. And he gave it back to them. But he didn't know 
that when he opened that Bible, there was a set of car keys in there for the new car. Well, right here is the package. He has the solution here, but Naaman doesn't like it. God's going to work things out in our life where he's going to get the praise. Now look what he says. It says that the messenger told him, you go and wash in Jordan seven times. And he says, "When this is the messenger going and sending the message to uh, Naaman. He says, you go wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. Now, you would think that that Naaman would be excited about that and he would turn his chariot and horses around and those that were those that were with him and he'd go straight to the Jordan River. Now, sometimes God gives us a path and we want to deviate from it just a little bit. And Naaman will see that right here in a minute that that's what he wanted to do. It says the messenger went to him and, and all this time. Elisha is just sitting there in the house. Elisha knew the answer. He knew the solution. He gave the solution to Naaman through the messenger. But Elisha didn't even as much as get up and go to the door and acknowledge that Naaman was at the door. And it offended Naaman. It did. So look at what even the king had acknowledged Naaman up to this point. But Elisha, Elisha wasn't impressed. Uh, uh, Brother Sonny Piles was just a, a wonderful preacher. Many of you remember him. And he preached here many, many times over the years. And, uh, and when his daughter, who I went to school with, uh, started dating a young man, uh, he, uh, the time was set for him to go and meet Brother Sonny. And uh, those of you that remember Brother Sonny, that would put a lot of pressure on a young man like that. And so he just simply said to Brother Sonny's daughter, he said, well, just tell me right now, how do I impress your dad? And she said, you don't. You can't impress my dad. It's not even possible. Well, he found out later what she was talking about. Not too many things impressed Brother Sonny. Well, Elisha here might have been kind of like Brother Sonny. He just wasn't real impressed with Naaman right here. So Naaman responds, and look what he says. Rather than be excited, it says Naaman was wroth, and he went away, and he said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. Here I've made this long journey. I'm at his front door. I have all these folks that are with me. And I have this letter from the king. I thought surely he would at least come out to me. He says, I thought he would come out to me. And he says, I thought he'd stand before me in my presence. And I thought that he would call upon the name of the Lord, his God. And I thought he would strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He says, I thought that this is how God was going to do it. And he says, and I'm upset that I came this way and he won't even as much as come out and greet me. He sends a messenger out and he says, I'm upset that he wouldn't acknowledge me. 
And he says, this is how I thought that God was going to do it. I thought that he would come out to me. I thought he would stand before me. I thought he would call upon the name of the Lord. And I thought that I would be healed. And he says, I am very upset about this. This is not exactly what I thought I had in mind. And I I, I imagine he probably even doubted whether Elijah had the power or had the ability to talk to the Lord about healing him. And he probably thought, I've come all this way. And now he's not able to deliver me and help me out of it. How many times in our life do we put it on fast forward and we think this is how God's going to do it? Then we, we say we almost have an outline. We almost have a plan. And we say, this is how God's going to do it. And then we want God to come along and we want him to put his stamp of approval on our plan. And right here, we see that that's not how God did it. So look what he said. So one of the servants. Oh, and then he said, above all else, can you imagine me, a captain of the Lord's host, going down to that old, dirty Jordan River? It's muddy. It's dirty. I don't have any desire to go down to Jordan River. In fact, he says, if the solution is to go dip in the river, then there's rivers that are a lot closer to home. There's rivers that are cleaner and in better condition than the Jordan River. There's rivers that if I'm going to have to do it, I'd much rather go to a different river. And I can think of some that are better. You ever want to change God's plans? You ever think that your plans are better than God's plans or your solutions better than God's solution? Now we're going to see where grace is manifest in this story. The servant that went with Naaman came to him and he spake to him and he said, you know, brother Roy mentioned in his prayer, the blessing of all of our brothers and sisters in the church. Sometimes God puts it in their heart to come and tell us something that we may not really want to hear or like to hear, but it's for our good and it's for the glory of the Lord. And this servant right here did this very thing. He said, he referred to him, he said, my father, he, he, I don't think it's his natural father, but it was, he, he respected him in this role. He said, and the servant came to him and he said, my father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, Wouldn't thou have done it? He says, how much rather then when he saith unto thee, wash and be clean. Now, this is probably really good for all of us right here. Rather than want to just follow what God's word has to say, maybe real simple, maybe a simple instruction in our life. It may be a simple path in our life. His servant said to him, Naaman. If Elisha had come out and he told you to go do some great thing, something real important, something real big, something real notable, wouldn't you have done that? Wouldn't you have put forth all your effort to go do something real big that's notable? 
And he says, he just asked you to do a real simple thing right here. He says, you were told to go dip in Jordan. And he says, if you had been bidden to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Do you know, that's what messes us up a lot of times is we want to do something really big and great when maybe it's not really big and great in God's eyes. We need to do the things that he shows us in his eyes and they're probably really big and great in his eyes. It's not we may not we may not get the credit in this world, but as long as God gets the credit, that's all that matters. So look what happens right here. It says that the servant told him, he said, would you have done it? He says, how much rather then when he say when he said unto thee, wash and be clean. So at least Naaman began to think about it. At least the information that the servant gave him, he listened to, he heard. And he said, he just simply told you to go down into Jordan, whether you want to or not. Whether you like Jordan or not, whether you think somebody else may be looking on and you may be embarrassed about it or not. He just simply said, you go down to Jordan and you dip yourself in Jordan seven times. And when you come out, you'll be clean. Now, look what he said. He told him to go down and and, and Naaman, it says he went down and he dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. Now, keep in mind. Up to this point, he had never seen, I don't believe he had seen Elisha. Elisha sent the message to him, but he didn't see Elisha. You see, I think part of the reason that God worked it out this way is that Elisha didn't get the credit. Elisha knew that it was of God. And so the way that God designed it, put it on Elisha's heart, even Elisha didn't get the credit for it. But God did. So he went down, he dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And it says his flesh came out and it says that he had the flesh of a little child and he was clean. His flesh was as a little child. A few years ago now, uh, I went to the dermatologist and... uh, uh, in my family, there's history of melanoma. And so I try to do that fairly often. And my mother told me before I went, she says, be sure and ask him about this spot right here and ask him about this spot right over here. And, and so when I go see the dermatologist, I'm, I'm, I'm showing him all these different spots that attention has been brought to. And he finally said, he said, sir, you can't expect your face to look like a baby's behind. So I kind of got the message after that. Well, right here, the, um, the skin of Naaman was healed so much and so clear, it was as if a little child. It really was. He was clean 
And then he returned to the man of God. He and his company came and he stood before him. Now he stands before him and he said, behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing. And he said, as the Lord liveth whom I stand, I will receive none. This is Elisha. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, uh, Naaman would not take uh, the offering that it was certainly appropriate for Naaman to want to offer an offering to uh, Elisha. But Elisha would not take the offering that Naaman was giving him. Elisha wanted the credit and glory to go to the Lord completely. And so when he came to him a second time, he he gives a testimony right here. Naaman gives a testimony right here. He says that as the Lord liveth, he says, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. He says, I recognize, I see, I get it. I see the hand of God. I give God the glory for what's happened right here. Now, he wanted to uh, honor uh, Elijah for giving him the instruction to go in and dip himself in Jordan. But when he comes back, he is made aware even by Elijah's response that you, it's not something you can buy. It's not something you can earn. It's not something that you can get with your status or with your merit. It all is according to Almighty God. That's how grace is. God expressed grace upon Naaman right here. Naaman didn't deserve to be healed. All of the offerings that Naaman took with him would not heal Naaman. Even the support of the king and the king's letter itself, that didn't have the power to heal Naaman. All of those things. Even Naaman's status didn't help him one bit in getting healed. He didn't impress Elijah at all. He, he didn't, it wasn't until he had tried and exhausted every effort that he had himself before he realized that it's not in my own strength. It's not even in the strength of Elijah himself, but it's in almighty God and none other. That's how grace happens. And right here, we have a real good picture of it right here. He said, I can't help. I, 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 I don't have the strength. Even Elisha says, I don't have the strength to do it, but God does. And he directed everything to God. That's how our salvation is for by grace. It's not based on the status that we have in the world. You may have a real high status. You may have earned a real good position in the world and God can bless you in that. But it's not going to earn you favor with God. It's not. You may be blessed with a whole lot of worldly goods and you may be able to to seek out and find the very best doctors that there are in this earth. You may be able to do that, but you're not going to achieve it with your earthly goods. You may know a lot of folks that are in a high up position. You might have a direct line to some folks that are in great positions of authority That when they see your number come up and you text them, they jump. It's not going to help you in the eyes of God. Not one bit. In the eyes of God, he gives us instructions to do in our life and to live in our life. And most of the time, they're real, real simple. Mm -hmm. We try to complicate them. We try to change them. But when we do that, we end up just sort of 
either putting it on hold, delaying it, or even messing it up. When we ought to just simply take it to the Lord. Now, grace, I love the message and the story and the theme and the scriptures of God's amazing grace and how that he saves his people and he does it completely himself without the assistance of man or woman at all. He saves us completely. And then he tells us about it. And then he not only saves us by his grace, solely by his grace, but he keeps us by his grace. So you may be saying, well, if we're saved by grace and it's not based on our works that we're saved, then does it really make any difference about how we live? If we believe that we're saved by grace, that Jesus Christ paid the price in full and that he knew us even before the foundation of the world and that he saved us and he paid the price for our sins, that he saves us by grace and he keeps us by grace, then does it even matter how we live? Well, first of all, I'll tell you that if you're saved by grace, it'll matter to you how you live. You're going to have a heart and a desire to please the Lord. But then here's the second reason right here that we're told. For by grace are you are ye saved through faith. And he says, and by the way, that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. So your salvation completely is a gift from God. Amen. Naaman's healing was a gift from God. He couldn't pay for it. He couldn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. He didn't have the clout to even get Elijah to come out of the house and acknowledge him. He says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. He said, it is the gift of God. And he says, and by the the, the way, it's not according to your works, because he says, if your works had anything to do with it, good works, bad works, any kind of works, acknowledging, accepting, receiving, believing Christ, that's a work on your part. He says, you're not saved according to works. He says, you're not saved according to works because he said, if we had anything at all to do with our salvation, then he says, our nature is that we would boast in it. So he says, it's a gift of God that God gives us by his amazing grace. But he says, I want to tell you, That not only did he save us by his grace, but we are. I don't believe for a second that we're just a bunch of robots uh, going around here in this life. I believe God's in control, but he also gives us a mind. And here's how he tells us that we're to use it. For we are his workmanship. Is he still working in your life? Is he still knocking off some rough rough edges? Is he still making some changes in our lives? I believe he will as long as we live. He says we're his workmanship. He's the potter, we're the clay. We are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are encouraged and taught and instructed to walk in works, not in order to get salvation, but because we have salvation and because we are his. 
I'm thankful to know that one of the first principles that I learned when I when I came to understand the doctrines of grace is that I'm thankful to know that I can't fall from grace. That I can't seek the Lord, serve the Lord, attempt to be faithful, and then all of a sudden stump my toes, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, and lose my salvation. Our salvation is kept. It's it's a has anybody ever given you a gift and they've taken it back? That's not. I mean, you think, well, did they really want to give it to me in the first place? Or have you ever given a gift that you thought you wanted to take back? I don't know. Jesus Christ gives you a gift. And he says, it's yours. And you keep it. And it's yours to the very end. And I'm not going to take it back. And you have the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And you're kept in Christ. God designed it in such a way that he gets all the glory. God bless you.